Okay, that's going to be a... This is going to be an epi- uh, a chapter of Know Your ABCs. What is the title going to be? It's going to be about Tammy, but I don't really know what the title is at this moment. And it comes from from Matthew, uh, well, from the rich young Euler, Matthew 19, verse 16, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, and Mark 10. And so, uh, uh, promise, it's going to be with uh, promise, it's going to be about assholes, bullshit, and Christianity, it's going to be ABC, it, the, I, perception of bullshit from from Jesus because I perceive this to be a promise that has not been fulfilled from the Bible. B for Bible. So what should I call it? And for me the promise is about Tammy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna load up a song that uh, w- was placed on my heart um, by Todd Rudengren since I was a child. Hello, it's me. And that's about me and Tammy. And, uh, and this, this chapter, this is about Tammy, how I gave up my, how I gave up Tammy. I don't know what to call this chapter. Assholes, bullshit, Christianity. Uh, Mark, Chapter 10, verse 13. Um, and then, and I've already spoken about all this. I just, I thought I had a chapter already listed on Anchor, but it's not there. And I don't know how to go back and find it. Anyway, so once you write these things and transcribe them, then you can put them in whatever chapter you want. Okay. So I'm just kind of have to redo this for myself. Um, okay. So know your ABCs and what is it going to be called? I just, I can't come up with A, B, or C for, for, I guess, okay, let's just call it what it is. It's um, a Bible verse. Uh, um, Mark 10.29. Okay. Know your ABCs, Mark 10.29. Okay, so I got this song stuck in my head from the 1970s. For me, this song is about Tammy. Me and Tammy. And spend the night if you think I should. Because we used to spend the night. We were just kids. It was innocent. It was sweet. And this Todd Rundgren song, Hello, It's Me, captures that sweetness and the innocence.
And I can't sing. Worth shit. Okay? So, this is going to be painful to people listening to me and Tom Dragman. Um, that's just the first not the way things are supposed to be when you're listening to a song and stuff. But I can't sing, and he can. This is as close as it gets to me singing. Hello, it's me. me. I thought about us for a long, long time. Maybe I think too much, but something's wrong. There's something here doesn't last too long. Maybe I shouldn't think of you as mine. Yeah, I shouldn't think of her as mine. I never did get around to making her mine. That is so sad. <laughs> so sad. See you Or seeing anything as much as I do you I take for granted that you're always there I take for granted that you just don't care Sometimes I can't help seeing all the way now, this is looking across 50 years of, uh, for a while she was my best friend and then we're not friends. That's so sad. This song reaches across an entire lifetime of when I, we were best friends and then she was molested. I wanted her to be my wife. I wanted her. And I never could have her. And I wanted to, I wanted to have I wanted to leave home and brothers and sisters and mother and father and children and fields to have her. And I left all that for Jesus' sake and Mark chapter 10. For his sake, I left her to get straight with him. And I have failed to receive a hundredfold in the present age as a result. And this song makes me even more sad. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with the persecutions. What a strange verse this is. And in the age to come, eternal life. So I have only that to look forward to, is the age to come, eternal life. I found evidence that Todd Rodengrenny was a Christian, too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing this song to him. He's going to hate it because I can't sing. He'll hear the he'll hear the emotion, the feelings behind it. 
So many who are first will be last, and the last will be first, and I am the last to sing a song. Because I can't sing, and he can, and he sang beautifully. Singing all the way through. Important to me that you know you are free. Think of me You know that I'd be with you if I could I'll come around to see you once in a while Or if I ever need a reason to smile and spend the night if you think I should. Talking to me. That you know you are free. And she's free. Tammy is free and has been free. And I need a reason to smile. And I would love, love to spend nights with her. But that was taken away from us. So here's a song that reaches across 50 years of heartache. 106 million hits on this song. It's kind of a beautiful song. All right, let's hear the rest of it. Free. I never wanna make you change for me. Think of me, you know that I'd be with you if I could, I'll come around to see you once in a while, or if I ever need a reason to smile, and spend the night if you think I should. Think of me, think of me, think of me. I'm looking at the video of Todd Rundgren. He's not a very good-looking man, but he strikes me as somebody who gets happy. 
strikes me that he was happy. So, um, that song is just, it kind of hits me. Um, and it's, it's about me and Tammy. I mean, to me, for me, right? Todd was born in 1948. So, by 1968, uh, he came, his best known songs included in 1972. So, 72, I was 10 years old. And by 68, he was 20 years old. So, very talented. All right, so um, I'm trying to find influence of when he was a Christian. He has a Christian song, and I can't find it. I think I'm going to end this. Uh, I'm going to stop recording this thing. It's too bad we can't pause. Okay, so we're on to this Bible verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 29. So let's go back to, um, this is when the rich young man comes up to Jesus. There's the cross verses are Matthew 19, 16 through 30, and Luke 18, 18 through 30. So I'm in Mark chapter 10. And there's discrepancy here in the Bible. And it points directly at me, so I kind of need to resolve this. Because when I was young, and I was trying to resolve Christianity, and I had Tammy on my heart, and I knew I needed to either pursue Tammy. Well, I didn't either. I just, I knew I wanted to pursue Tammy. And I knew it was important to pursue Christ. To get that straight. That... If I didn't pursue Christ and I and I pursued Tammy, then it's, it's eventually the Christian stuff would take over, and I would one way or another have to deal with it, and then it would be with me and Tammy. And then if I pursued Christ first, then it would be Tammy would be secondary to that. So I very much put Christ first and Tammy second. And so uh, here comes the rich young man talking to Jesus. And, Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and knelt before him. Good teacher. Now, he ran up, a man ran up and knelt before him. This is something that kind of strikes me in this language because people didn't run very much. Back then, it was a sign of indignity. And when, it got, when the, the, the father of the, uh, of the prodigal son ran to the child, he was showing showing humility 
because he was so happy to see his child. This man ran up to Jesus, showing humbleness. And he knelt before Jesus. He's showing a lot of religiosity here. And he said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As if it depended on something you did. I mean, it's all about faith, not works. Verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See, Jesus is answering religiosity with religiosity. I've already spoken about this. And I just I need to get those words back together into some kind of a coherent chapter. That's why this is its own chapter. Anyways, so no one is good except God alone. And guess what? Jesus is God. And so he is God good. And so this guy is calling him good and he's calling him God. And Jesus is very slightly hinting that you got it right, buddy. I am good and I am God. And why do you call me good? Unless you kind of detect that. And he says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he replied, all these things I've kept from my youth. Now, this is a person who's had his limbic system programmed to, to be on his own side since his youth. Okay. So... He's been born with a silver spiritual spoon in his mouth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, okay, so loved him. Here's a secondary part, of, uh, a verse of, of this this, sec this section in the Bible, which is, the whole thing is screaming out that this is unique. This entire episode is unique in the biblical thing because Jesus said he loved them. That's kind of rare for it to say that. And he's hinting, he's speaking religiosity to religiosity. He's hinting that he is God. He's not saying it outright. He's answering religion to religion. And he showed this guy who he was. You know, not much there. Okay. So Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you own and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. <clears throat> and come and follow me. Now, this was a very special commandment he gave to one person, only because he was rich, and because he claimed to have uh, adhered to, to the Ten Commandments. And Jesus was showing him he was full of shit. But, it's a special case, because there, cause there is this whole special case in, uh, in religion, in Christian circles, where people just claim to be followers of Christ, claim to be, you know, saved, claim to be holier than thou. They're pharisaical. And Jesus kind of wants to start looking at the heart and loving them and uh, saying, look, uh, you need to uh, show where your heart is. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Um... And it was also a way of showing this man that he really was full of shit and showing others. Anyways, verse 22, but the man was saddened by these words and went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. He didn't want to give up his wealth in order to follow Jesus. So, back then, everybody was quite Calvinistic in their approach to, to life. Calvinism being like... <laughs> 
I know it came hundreds of years later, but Calvin's basically saying, uh, if you're wealthy, it's a sign that God has blessed you. And that's how they used to look at things way back in Jesus's time. And Jesus really questioned that and turned this one on its head. And the reality is, he, God is more, far more interested in having you come and follow him than in building treasures for you. And you will build treasures in heaven if you follow him. Uh, and it's better for you to give to the poor than to keep this stuff for yourself because you don't take it with you. So Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And just totally questioning their entire approach to religion right there. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. This is not an easy thing. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've already talked about on uh, Anchor about this passage about camel through the eye of a needle, and there's some bullshit there, okay? I'm not going to talk about it now. So we'll have to recollect that bullshit about people claiming that this is a Bible passage about cutting off the baggage of a camel so he can get through the eye of a needle, which I guess I am talking about it. Okay, so the eye of a needle is supposed to be a passage in in uh, castles that was a way of getting in and out of a castle without going through the main uh, entrance, and it was really small, and you couldn't run a cam camel through it. In order to run a camel through the eye of a needle, you'd have to cut off all of his baggage, and you really couldn't do it. Um, it was too hard. It was very tight quarters. and But the only way to do it was to cut off the, your baggage. And so that's supposed to be the allegory. The only problem is those things, those little passages in castles, they didn't exist. It's an invention. It's bullshit. So it's just a bullshit passage, or it's a bullshit allegory because that stuff didn't happen in history and it's bullshit. So that's the only problem. It's a beautiful allegory, but it's bullshit. Okay, so Jesus said to them, uh, it's how hard it is to, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Um, and they were even more astonished and said one another. So they're more astonished, okay? This is astonishment upon astonishment. This is, this is an astonishing passage. Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, Well, with man this is impossible, but with not with God. For all things are possible with God. So they're basically thinking nobody can get to heaven, and he's saying, Hey, almost everybody can get to heaven. It doesn't depend on you. You aren't good enough. And you're right, nobody can get to heaven. If you think it's based on you being good enough to get there. Okay? Impossible with man. Peter began to say to him, look, we've, <laughs> we've left everything and followed you. And that's how I feel about Jesus. I left what was most important to me. Jesus, verse 29, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for the sake, for my sake, and for the good news, for the gospel, 
will fail to receive a hundredfold in the present age. That's the key here. That's worth hearing in Mark chapter 10. It's not in the others. The key phrase, in the present age. That's what trips me up. Anyway, so anyway, he will not fail to receive a hundredfold in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions. Now, I've gotten the persecutions. I haven't gotten the other shit. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now, there's a wonderful promise. I have been promised eternal life. That's cool. I'm a follower of Christ. I will get eternal life, even if I've got a misinterpreted promise of hundredfold returns here on earth. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And uh, there was a time when I was crying, talking to Bill Duffman, talking about remembering my time with Tammy and how I gave this up in order to pursue Christ because I wanted to get this straight. I wanted to figure it out. And that I felt like God has kind of not given me a hundredfold. So, and there is this promise here. People rely on promises in the Bible. And I see this as a promise. And Bill was kind of telling me, uh, basically, you can't hold God's feet to the fire. You can't obligate God. Why can't you obligate God? If it's right here in the Word, why can't you obligate God? He is promising. Okay? And I want to rely on that as a promise. I want, I want to move forward in my life. But I see, I'm so older now that getting a hundredfold in this present age isn't going to count for much because I've already lost so much. And then the, the years that the locusts have eaten are not restored to me. And so I'm a little bitter about God and this promise not coming true in my life. All right, so I'm going to go back to Matthew 19 and reread this passage in Matthew 19 to see if there's any differences. I mean, it's just a, it's a remarkable passage, so uh, well, so let's read it. And I'm giving my perspective on that passage, and my perspective is a little bit negative, isn't it? So maybe we'll get somewhere with it. Well, I will grow spiritually or something. Who knows? So here's uh, Matthew chapter 19. The rich young man. Just then a man came up to Jesus and inquired. Now, it just says here he came up and inquired. <laughs> That's a lot different than running up and kneeling at his feet. And says, uh, teacher, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? Yeah, there's the same question, right? What can I, what do I do? Well, the simple fact is you cannot earn your way into heaven. Okay, so why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. Guess who that is? That's God. And guess who Jesus is? That's him. And Jesus is based. You go backwards after knowing all this and realize that Jesus is, is is <coughs> Jesus is uh, is poking at this guy a little bit. This guy is kind of full of himself. 
And maybe I'm kind of full of myself trying to rely on a promise, you know, a half promise because it's in one verse, but it's not in the other, whether or not that is a hundredfold here on the, on the earth. Okay. So maybe I'm kind of full of myself. Um, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Okay. So that was the prior way of things. You keep the commandments and God will kind of keep you in mind. Okay. And which ones the man said, because surely not all 10 apply. Yes, they do. All of them. So Jesus answered, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Honor your father or mother, love your neighbor as yourself, etc., etc. All of these I have kept, the young man says, what do I still lack? He knows enough about himself and about spirituality. He knows that it is not enough to keep those commandments and get into heaven. He knows that it's not enough because he's full of shit. He's full of himself. He knows he's wealthy, and that's supposed to be a sign that he's got favor from God and that he's been blessed. Yeah, he knows it's not enough. So Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, now perfect is a different word in the New Testament than the way we look at things. Perfect is really the better way. Word is if you want to be mature. So maturity is really a better word. What we call perfect is really most of the time in the, in the word is mature. If you want to be mature, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And that's a pretty good advice to this young man, wealthy man. And uh, if he'd have followed it, he'd have had an assurance of a treasure in heaven, which... Uh, is more than you could ask for in this life because you don't take any of that stuff with you. So he just didn't realize who he was talking to. If he'd have known that, he probably would have given everything that he had to him right then and there. When the young man heard this, he went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. Now, you already have great wealth. And so somebody who has quite a bit of authority, you can tell they have authority, they tell you, you know, give it all up. Give it to me. Give it all up and follow me. He didn't even say give it to me. He says give it to someone else and then come and follow me. And it's kind of like, wow, you seem to have quite a bit of authority, but <laughs> I already have something. So I have to give up what I already know I have to go pursue something I don't know. And that's tough for people to do. That takes a lot of faith. Now, of course, if he had the same conversation with Jesus after Jesus came back from the life, it would have been freaking obvious that Jesus was God and, uh, you know, you drop everything and give everything to him. Okay? So, then Jesus said to his disciples, after this guy went away in sorrow, he says, Truly, I heard I tell you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who can be saved? <laughs> They're asking, what? You're completely throwing everything we know about salvation on, our head, on its head. 
With, and Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. You guys, you have this mentality that what you're doing is good enough to earn your way to heaven. And that's not even possible. It's impossible. <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. Well, look, Peter replied, we have left everything follow you, and what then will be there for us? It sounds like a bunch of empty shit you're offering us. And we already left all of our stuff. We did what you told this guy to do. So what do we get? Well, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things. Uh, this is when things get renewed. Not before, perhaps. Maybe I'm trying to count on things to be renewed before they actually get renewed. When a son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Jesus, I I followed you, and I asked that you help me to sit on a throne, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and mothers or brothers and fathers and mother or wife or children for or fields for the sake of my name will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There's a promise there for eternal life, just like in John 3.16. I get it. And I and I seek that promise, so I claim it. And I'm kind of pissed off I don't get a hundredfold in this life. But many who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. Okay. Now let's go to Luke chapter 18 to see if... Uh, oh, shit. That's not it. Uh, 18 through 30. Luke 18, 18 through 30. Then a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, murder, etc. All these I've kept from my youth. He said, On hearing this, Jesus told him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you own and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was extremely wealthy. So maybe he was Bill Gates-level wealthy. Seeing the man's sadness, Jesus said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Well, then who can be saved? Well, Jesus said, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. Well, look, Peter said, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many more times in this age. Okay, so that's two verses out of three that this says, in this age, and in the age to come, eternal life. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture because it promises eternal life, and there's all, and there's all kinds of things just turning on its head. Okay, and, and so it's just a cool passage to begin with. But two out of three times it says, "In this age, yeah, there's a promise here," and I feel like I have not been given that promise. It has not been fulfilled in my life. Okay? That's how I feel. 
It may not be true. It may be just me being negative. It may just be because I'm a depressive and this, this is what's going on in my head. But I feel like I gave up Tammy. And I gave up. I gave up a lot to pursue Christ. And I didn't get a lot in this life because of it. And when I hit the rewind button at that point in time in my life, yeah, it was a rough time. I was right after eighth grade. I had a rough year. Part of the reason why I had a rough year was because Tim molested Tammy and I was trying to pursue Tammy at that point in time. I was starting to try to close the deal. It was okay for boys to be interested in girls. All of a sudden, once you go to junior high, everything's changed. Okay? Okay, fine. Then I'll start moving in on Tammy. I'm convinced that Tim, part of Tim's uh, uh, motivation for doing that was to break up the relationship between me and Tammy because that, that was that was just right there, me having invested all, so much time into my friendship with her. I mean, there was love there. And it was a good friendship, and we were best friends. And there was some romance. And there was romance headed my way. Everybody could see it. And that was power. So all we really need is each other. And that's it. We didn't need the family. Fuck the family. The family was fucking us. Fuck them. We would have each other. And Tim, Tim broke that up. I guess I've never told anybody this, but now is the time to say it. I actually, at the time, wrote a letter when I was 15, 16 years old to Ann Landers about this, asking for advice because I couldn't figure out who to call or talk to to get advice. And she answered. And it was a bullshit answer. And it was like, you need to investigate or ask yourself why somebody is... Uh, is uh, going, I forget what she said, uh, something like why somebody is disrupting your life or something like that, or why that happened to you. Kind of like it was my fault. Like, ask yourself what you your part was that you played in it. What part I played in, the, say, the night that Tim, and it was maybe two or three nights, not really sure how many, Let's call it three nights. So I'm having Tammy over as a friend, you know, as a sleepover. It's just like just pretty innocent things that we used to do when we were kids. You'd sleep over at the other person's house. So what was my part? <laughs> Sleeping over. It's like, what, what the fuck? What is my part? You're not supposed to, you're supposed to be so aware that you sleep, having your friends sleep over is somehow playing a part in the destruction of your, your friendship in inviting that level of abuse. I don't get it. <laughs> no. Sometimes this person didn't really play a part. A person is innocent and other people see the innocence and take advantage of the innocence and for you to look at your own part that you played in something you played the innocent part and the other person played the 
the I'm going to take advantage of this innocent, stupid person or whatever part. It's almost all the fault of the other person, okay? And almost none of the fault of the person that you're trying to say, well, what part did you play in it? You know what? Fuck off. I didn't play any fucking part, so fuck the fuck off. Hmm. All right, well, um, I guess I'm going to have to collate, gather some of these uh, episodes to throw all this stuff together as things that I had talked about in the past and just to make it a coherent chapter. But once it's written, then it's just a matter of knowing that this is that subject and you just copy and paste and then you're done. I mean, but when it's audible is you can't tell where it is you can't find it there's no search function that kind of thing it's different but it is all there <clears throat> okay so this is the song that todd rungan wrote uh which gives evidence that he was a believer in christ it was called love is the answer and then it was made famous by england dan and john ford coley i'm gonna try to play both of them at the same time this isn't so easy to do. So the first one is, this is England Dan and John Ford Coley. I'm going to go to about 10 seconds or so. So there's 10 seconds in. Now I'm going to go to uh, Todd Rundgren's song. He's going to be about 10 seconds in. Right about now. Come on. How come this doesn't work? Shore to shore, a shore tent. Ah, the family. But there is no easy way around it. Why the world loves the answer. Love is the answer. No, it's like boys and girls. Oh, 
love is the answer. Ask the man in your heart for the answer. Well, they follow the timing pretty close. I mean, you can't, you can <clears throat> stop and start. There's really not much that you can do to integrate the two songs because, uh, you know, that takes super duper uh, talent and uh, time and uh, capability. You know, I got to have the right tools also. But there's evidence that Todd Rundgren was a believer in Christ. That's great. So there's uh, B for Bible, C for Christ, Todd Rundgren. Uh, right, it's a second song of his that I'm using as an example, and uh, <clears throat> it was on my mind as well when I was asleep last night. So I'm gonna re. So this is my second time recording this kind of a thing, I guess. Uh, I'm gonna just delete the other one and include this one. Okay, so I'm going to do an Elton John song that's that um, from the 70s. Again, I don't know why these songs stick in my head. They're like earworms. And it's got vision 
of an owl howling, and it's funny because right above my head is this cell phone tower, and there's an owl, and I heard her, I heard him last night, and uh, I have uh, audio of it. Maybe I'll try to play the audio at some point in time for this song. Uh, so I, I live right directly underneath at night where a uh, hooting owl hoots. I don't know what the I don't have any idea what the, um, which species of owl that is. Anyways, uh, when it says I shouldn't have listened to my old man, my old man didn't tell me diddly squat. So I didn't even have an old man and I had no plow to go back to. So when it says mongrels sniffing for tidbits on the ground, uh, I'm a mongrel. Okay. And yes, I live on a property where a person lives in a sort of a penthouse and a present for his friends to open. Yeah, I can identify with that. I don't know. I mean, this is Elton John. The guy was a flaming uh, homosexual, I guess, at some point in time. And this, this songwriter, this is him writing a song, which was essentially a resignation letter. And <laughs> Elton John was so talented that he could turn a resignation letter into a hit song. And that's what this song is. <laughs> and my future lies well beyond the Yellow Brick Road, the Yellow Brick Road right here in the middle of Silicon Valley. Okay? Because those are yellow bricks. They're not gold. And uh, it's bizarre living here. And my future lies beyond that. I'm, uh, my future lies with Christ... Yes, maybe I don't get to have a hundredfold here on this earth, like in Mark ten twenty nine, but I get my eternal life, and uh, I, I, I have, I can lay claim to having paid down a price to uh, to further the kingdom. Kind of like what Peter was saying, you know, they, he left, they left their families and their, and they didn't know, and I left. I mean, I didn't leave. I didn't have it. They have, when you have a wife, you have a wife. What I had was a future and it was an obvious future when you have your best friend and you're in love with her and you know that that's, there's romance there. It could be, you know, good, solid romance there the rest of your life. All you need is each other. You don't need the rest of the world. You don't need shit when you, when you have something like that. And I gave that up temporarily in my mind, but I gave it up. I put it second place to pursuing the truth of Christ and getting that straight, getting my shit straight there. Okay? So, that's what this chapter is about. And this song speaks to that, and it touches me. So, when these words come out, they didn't mean what they meant to him when he wrote it, nor to people who hear it, but this is what kind of the stuff is meaning when I listen to it. Okay, so here we are with the song by Elton John. <coughs> Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Um, when are you going to come down? When are you going to land? I should have stayed on the farm. I should have listened to my old man. 
Tibbets like you on the ground. Oh. Goodbye, yellow brick road, where the dogs of society howl. Can't pimp me in your penthouse. I'm going back to my plow, back to the howling out in the woods, hunting the horny back toad. Oh, I've finally decided my future lies beyond the yellow brick So, this song's got a lot of things that are pointed right directly at me. I mean, dogs of society howl. That fucking dog that comes around and howls at me is really gotten on my nerves during this coronavirus stuck in our penthouse phase. <laughs> Holy shit. And then he calls himself a mongrel sniffing on the ground. For this, sniffing for tidbits like you on the ground. That's what that dog does. He sniffs for tidbits on the ground. And uh, and I am a mongrel too. So, And I'm being treated like a mongrel. That's what I don't like. I'm a human being. I live between the chicken shed and the kitty cats, which another human being was so interested in that yesterday he came on the property to go and look at the kitty cats. That was his excuse. I mean, there's some bizarre shit going on there, right? But it's because this property is so nice. This is a penthouse type of property in the middle of San Jose. But penthouses don't really exist here in San Jose. We we are in the 
where there's still four acres of land. This is more like a Batman 1960s out in the boonies thing, okay? <laughs> in the exurbs, rather than in Gotham, middle of Gotham City, okay? And there's a there's a little lake. You can see it on Google Maps, and that's probably what the guy was trying to do. He's trying to walk out to the lake in the easiest way he could find. So, dogs of the society are howling at me. I'm a mongrel sniffing for tidbits on the ground. And what do you think you'll do then? Find a replacement? Probably. Find a replacement. I don't want to submit my resignation and have it turn into a song by the super duper talented dude that owns the penthouse. I want to stay here. And I want to stop the dog of society howling. And yes, my future lies beyond the yellow brick road. And I want to be the one writing the song. The song would be the generation of uh, the precariat class 12 smart. Um, uh, and uh, implement it in such a way that it becomes a song in Thomas's family, in Thomas's life, that by including uh, Christian-based mediation in, in the way that he manages people on the job. That's 12-step work right there. In the way that he manages me, 12-step work right there, practicing his principles in all his affairs, and managing anyone else he has authority over, including himself. He learns to be a better person and can implement these principles and simply be a nicer person. And this is... This, Authoritarian bullshit has just got to stop. So ABC's authoritarian bullshit Christianity has got to stop. And I, the, I, this is my vision for making it stop. Maybe my vision won't come true. It's probably pretty damn fucking likely that it's not going to come true. Okay? But that's the vision God gave me, and he gave this to me. I'm 58. He gave it to me 40 fucking years ago. Gave it to me earlier than that. Gave it to me when I was a child. And I couldn't do shit with it. And now maybe I can uh, lay down my future beyond the yellow brick road. Okay. So that's this song. That's my commentary on this song. And hopefully where this song takes us. Okay. As a society. All right, so, so just some further commentary on that song by Elton John and how it applies to me. Like right now, I live down uh, hill from and in a shed. Uh, and so downhill from the penthouse dude who has all the talent and the authority. And it's a, and I had a, I had a dream about this. The, I've had, I think this might have been a recurring dream. I'm not really sure, but because uh, the dream is I'm, I'm at 227 Lynnhurst, which is the house that I grew up in. And my dad had the authority. And he was the, he's my dog howling in my head. The dogs of society howling there in the upper middle class, and, you know, 1960s uh, Belmont, California. Uh, and so the hill was a lot steeper and I, and in my dream, I'm living towards the bottom of that hill. 
and I'd never really gotten up the hill and lived in a, in a nice, you know, the penthouse, the nice house. I've had lots of recurring dreams of, of going back to our house at Lynnhurst, and I believe that might be something that our, our family just seem we're just really attached to that house. I mean, it's been, it's been um, well, we sold it in what, 73, 75, 70, yeah, 75, I think. So it's been 45 years, and yet we still think about that house. My brother Pat, my, my brother Mike went back and talked to the owner once. And I think he actually twice uh, introduced himself, and, and he ended up with a bottle of wine that came from the grapes that were grown on the side of the hill from that house. And uh, one, did it, one Thanksgiving, um, I went and visited him at Chico. We were at my brother Pat's house, and we shared a bottle of wine from the grapes from 227 Lynnhurst. That was rather extraordinary. He somehow, him, him, Mike and his girlfriend, because Mike was always kind of bold about that kind of stuff, which is kind of cool, frankly. So we drank grapes and wine from Lynnhurst. And right now, I'm, I'm going to go and look right now at grapes that are growing on this property that I live on right now on the bottom side of the hill from from the authoritarian uh, guy living on the top of the hill. So there's a lot of parallels here. And that's why my subconscious, you know, dreams about this kind of stuff. And I, and I was too young to be singing the blues. Okay. I started having depressions from the time I was 10 years old. That's when I remember having them. I probably had them. And I was singing the blues earlier than 10 years old. But it was a really drastic change when I was 10 because that's when my mom left and they split up. And it was weird because uh, I heard it from my um, from the kids down the street. Some talk about dogs of society howling. They were, was one day a kid down the street, don't remember who it was, who said, uh, I heard your mom's moving out. And I go, what? No, shut up. Shut the fuck up. Or whatever you do when you're 10 years old and you, you're telling the kid down the street to shut the fuck up. I mean, I don't even know if I swore at that time. And I come home and I say, oh, mom, uh, somebody said that you were moving out. What's, you know, what's up with that? And to my complete and utter surprise, she said, yeah, I thought I would give that a try. And that's when my world got shattered. Now, there, you know, there's some slight evidence that my parents weren't getting along. They weren't sleeping in the same room anymore. My mom said it was because she because he snored and kept her awake near it. And these are kind of classic signs now that people talk about it years and years later. They say when your parents aren't sleeping in the same room that you're, you're, their marriage is falling apart. And I didn't know that. I had no idea. My parents didn't even fight in front of us. So, yeah, I was singing the blues way too young to be singing the blues. And I, this penthouse thing is a bit of exaggeration in the song. And I didn't live in a penthouse. And yeah, that's an exaggeration. However, 
it's well represented in the song. But the too young to be singing is very well represented because it's it's all about singing B for the blues, the B bullshit blues, and it's all due to authoritarianism and a person with talent abusing the authority that they have. And this guy wrote his resignation letter to that guy. And me, I'm trying to write a reverse resignation song. Yes, I am trying to write a song. And the song is going to be the creation of 12 Smart, uh, the Meek Shall Inherit the Earth group, Christian, that will end authoritarian bullshit Christianity. Or, no, it will end authoritarian bullshit churchianity. And it will implement a new ABC of church. And what will be the anxiety-beating Christianity, the ABC? I don't know. But that's close, right? Anxiety-beating Christianity to replace the authoritarian bullshit Christianity? I'm not really sure what the new acronyms or new ABC is going to be. But I like anxiety-beating Christianity. And I just came up with that. Just thinking about it just now. You know what I mean? I came right out. So sometimes that sort of happens. You know, you're just thinking out loud and and, and thoughts are, when you think out loud, actually, in the beginning, they come out better than later on. You just keep going around and around and around on it and never come up with anything even better than what you initially first came out with. And other times you do... Uh, get better things, <clears throat> especially if you're really creative or if, you know, initially what you came up with was <laughs> under a tremendous amount of anxiety, eh? anxiety. Um, and then your anxiety slowly goes away and you start accessing a eh? accessing your C cerebral cortex. So you be beating the anxiety by a accessing your C cerebral cortex. And so you could come up with better acronyms. But I like it. Anxiety beating Christianity. Anxiety beating Christianity is overtaking the authoritarian bullshit churchianity. So yeah, I'm seven minutes, seven and a half minutes into uh, continuing to comment on this song and uh, coming up with this kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. So I have, I have shit to say, okay? I've got grapes to look at and comment from the bottom side of this hill. And God has given me a lot of parallels here. A lot of things to write in my song. And I am nowhere near that dude that wrote those songs. Uh, uh, Bernie Taupin, I think his name is, that wrote Elton John's songs. But I have whatever I have. I have some kind of talents. I used to have a lot more. I used to have the talent of remembering things, just memory, strong memory. And then people thought I was smart because of that. And it's the strangest thing to be thought of as smart. Start to think of yourself as smart because people tell you you're smart. But in reality, I wasn't very smart. People who are good at math and science, mostly math, and uh, music, they pick up music just like they can pick up an instrument and play it 
by hand. There are some intelligence there. Um, people like me, I can read a book and remember what was in the book when I was younger. I can't even do that anymore. My memory is starting to get shot. But, and so people perceived that as intelligence. That is not intelligence. That's just a good memory. And yet, the way that education was set up was that people with good memory did better because you could regurgitate bullshit on tests. And, and they found out that people like that don't do very well in society. You just regurgitated a bunch of bullshit. They need to be able to teach you how to, how to reduce your anxieties and implement, you know, your um, anxiety program, anti your, your smart program, your self-management anxiety reduction techniques, smart. And that's what, this, that's what the world values in people like Thomas. They perceive that he's smart, that he's self-management anxiety uh, reducing uh, capabilities. Okay? And that's what they... they they uphold in leaders people who are um, stoic. They like stoic leaders. They like cheerleaders. C for cheerleaders. And they don't like people leaders that have a lot of anxiety and can't channel C channel their anxiety. A channel your A anxiety. Okay. Uh, some people have a lot of anxiety and are able to channel it in cheerleading fashion. And so it's kind of weird to be around them. I think a person like that is uh, the guy that runs uh, uh, Oracle, the company Oracle. That guy's a first-class asshole. And he has a lot of anxiety. But he channels it. And... Uh, he makes that work. And I guess Bill Gates was similar to that, but Bill Gates was extremely intelligent. He he had a first-class mathematical mind, and he could have easily had made his way, paying his, his way through college just by the poker winnings that he was winning alone. And I, they say the same thing about uh, Richard Nixon. He, he was good at poker, too funded his entire congressional first congressional campaign with his poker winnings. So people who are really smart at math and applied math and reading others and uh, channeling their anxiety, those people rise to the top. And they're not fun to work with or work for. And you end up writing uh, an anxi anxiety and laced um song of resignation to them and they turn a song like that into a, a hit song they, they turn lyrics into a hit song okay that's what they can do and this is what we would seek to do <clears throat> and it's no longer something uh, or, or it's something that you can do with an ordinary person you can turn an ordinary person to a stoic strong abc leader Someone who takes their anxiety and channels it. Their anxiety and bullshit are channeled positively. Especially if they're Christian. Okay? Because God is not a fucking doorknob. Okay? God is real. And you throw, you cast your anxiety upon him. 
That's First Peter 5, chapter 7. And he actually does something with your anxiety instead of a doorknob, which doesn't do shit. Okay? So, it makes sense to figure out who God is in a, and uh, confront that anxiety that that causes in a person's life. And come to the truth of the matter of anxiety in, associated with Christianity. To know your ABCs associated with the anxiety that you have about Christianity. And that the way to do that is through history. Just read the history. Know what the enemies of Christ said about Christ, and that is the history of it. Okay? Because the moment you're in a court of law, trying to figure out who's who and what's what and what the facts are on the ground, the facts are what pe- both sides agree. When the enemies agree, that the friends, that both people were there at that time, and one person says he's a murderer, another person says he just happened to have a knife in his hand for some reason. He was pulling the knife out of the guy's back. Okay, but the facts on the ground are there was a knife in the guy's hand and he was pulling it out of his bed, the guy's back. He had blood on his hands and both sides agree to that. And both sides completely disagree that the guy stuck the knife in his the guy's hand. Okay, that's where you have to start to make your assessments. But, but history agrees that Jesus died claiming to be God himself. History. Okay, that's factual, provable history. And everybody who hears that so far, everybody, except for people who know that Jesus is God already, everybody that hears that, they turn around and they say, that doesn't mean that it's provable that Jesus is God. They say that every single fucking time. Because this induces anxiety in them. And you've got to handle that anxiety. It's so important because... Your entire existence as a soul rests on how important that is. That's how important it is that you handle that that particular anxiety properly and well in your life. You've got the rest of your life. It might be five minutes. It might be five years. It might be 50 years. But that's what you've got. You don't even know what you've got. You've got that long to handle that particular anxiety. And it's what lasts you for eternity. Okay? Now, at that point in time, the people who don't like Christ and don't want Christ, they're going to say, there is no such thing as eternity. Okay? And you're asserting your own viewpoint. Yes, I am asserting my own viewpoint. But even people who are against Christianity assert the same viewpoint that there is an eternity, that we have souls that live forever. And there are some people who think otherwise also. Okay, but there, to be candid, there are a lot of people, and most people think that your soul lives forever, and and it's all about where your soul is going to live and who you're going to live with. Okay, so you need to handle that. So I guess that's kind of how I weave that that song, "Beyond the Yellow Brick Road." into uh, the the deity of Christ and knowing your ABCs. And how can we even turn this next generation? How can we help? We can help ordinary kids who don't, who are mongrels sniffing at the ground, okay? We can turn them into leaders. 
by giving them access to an external organization that loves them, you're not going to replace their parents because it's too much to do. Jesus says, "The poor you will always have with you." Okay, you're not going to you're not going to defeat poverty. But what you can do is defeat spiritual poverty because it didn't cost anything to tell people about Jesus. It's cheap, very cheap. Almost every single person on the planet has heard of Jesus, just like 90 point, 99.9% or 99.5% of every person on the planet has heard of Coca-Cola. And 92% of the people on the planet have tried Coca-Cola. And I believe it's in the 99% range of people who have heard of Jesus. And we have no idea how many people have tried Jesus. It's probably in the upper 80s. And so we're the last generation in Mark chapter 12, I believe, Mark 24, maybe. He talks about, uh, but first the gospel, the good news, must be preached to all languages. And so we have preached the good news to all languages. Almost every language on the planet has had a Bible translated into that language. Okay. Now, some of the languages on the planet, the people who were writing the Bible in those languages had to create the written language for that language because it didn't even exist. It was an oral language. Now, there's one or two of those, there's a few of those. But that must have been a fascinating linguistic uh thing to have to do, okay? And so, knowing your ABCs in a language like that, whoo, there's a tough one. But ABCs translates pretty well over there, because ABCs came from the Phoenician alphabet, and it is all about A for alpha, where that stands for the A word, A sound, B, 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 C was whatever C is, sounds like. C in America has changed from C to K, you know, it used to be more like a K sound. It would have been more like the ABKs. <laughs> so, you know, the same with uh, with Latin, uh, you know. Uh, C was pronounced K. So Julius Caesar was pronounced, first of all, it was first name, last name, last name, first name. It would have been Caesar Julius. C was K, 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 K. Okay. Anyway, so uh, ABCs translating into you, you, the, the Christian message into uh, every single known language is, is taking place. And this is the la- very last generation for it to even have to happen to. So this stuff is right around the corner. Uh, the, uh, the, what, the, 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 the second coming of Christ. Um, uh, whatever all that stuff, that apocalyptic stuff that's coming is definitely coming. It's right there in, uh... well, I should probably look it up. It's a Bible verse. It's, um, I think it's Mark chapter 24. So what we're going to do is you're going to listen to me as I try to do, do a Google a Bible verse. And it's, uh, gospel must be preached to all nations. That's what's giving me the type ahead. Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. 
and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. So Matthew 24, 14. And uh, so it comes right up in Google. And then people love the King James Version, which is stupid because that's the way people talked back in King James's day. The way people talk today is they would be calling it the, the, the fucking gospel, the fucking good news. Okay. <laughs> You'd want to take the fucking part out of it and put in something that's maybe almost just as provocative. And anyways, it's, um, it's Mark 13.10, not Mark 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all na nations, and then the end will come. Okay, and Matthew twenty four fourteen, and this good news of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to unto all nations, and then the end shall come. So almost exactly the same uh, uh, language in those two passages. Okay, that's the passages that I'm talking about. The gospel needs to be preached in all nations, in all languages, and that's happening in this generation. This is the very last generation that that's going to happen. The ABCs are extending to every language on the planet. And we're all hearing the good news of Jesus, and then the end will come. And it's right around the corner. And we can see it. We don't know exactly when. The Bible says you don't know the day or the hour, but you can read the signs of the times. You know it's happening or in your time because look at all the shit that's coming down. And that is the sign. Okay? So there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be, uh, well, <sighs> there's going to be those seven plagues and the seven years of uh, of hardship and tribulation and all kinds of shit that talk about in Bible prophecy. And that's the stuff that led me to Christ. So, you know, it's scary as shit. Uh, and, it caught, and it really hyperventilated my anxiety at a time when I was already a depressive. Okay. So I had to really take that down as an elephant in my jungle. And uh, maybe that'll help others. You know, they have this association, A for association of B, Biblical, C, Christianity, that, that it's evil and it's bad and it's harmful and the medieval guys that are torturing people in the name of Christ and all that other stuff that took place, you know, and the C for crusades that people get all bent out of shape over crusades. And once you look into that, it's like no big deal. It's like a few thousand people that died. And, uh, and they most of them died out on the battlefield. It was Christian warriors against uh, um, Muslim warriors out on the battlefield, fighting in the name of each other's uh, um, ideology. And most of that was because the Islamic dudes were really uh, um, forceful uh, and violent. In the, and it's part of the Quran for, for the, them to be forceful and violent. It says to do so in their Quran. Whereas in the Bible, it says those who live by the sword will die by the sword. <laughs> and that's right before Jesus died, right? You know, one of his last words to his disciples, okay? Uh, and he healed the guy when he said it. All right? Back, backing up 
love with healing, that's pretty darn cool. That's a better message than uh, kill the infidel, kill them where you find them, or whatever it is it says in the Quran. The Quran is a hateful message, and the Bible is a loving message. And yes, it has been contorted and twisted, but you you know it's also been copied, and you read it yourself, and you go, well, you know, everything I read this in the New Testament, there's there isn't a lot of hatred there. There's just a lot of love and a lot of preaching the good news and talking about Jesus and talking about miracles and and all these great sermons he gave and things that, you know, it's like, yeah, he was, he was a strong personality. He was a great personality. He's a great person. And then once you realize that he claimed to be God, you go, oh, wait a second. Now I got to reevaluate that whole thing. <laughs> yes, you do have to reevaluate and know that it is truthful and factual that Jesus claimed to be God. See, claimed. And that is a fact of history. And then you take it on, take on that anxiety and channel it. See, channel a, a anxiety and turn it into something positive in your life. Now, maybe you have you end up deciding that Jesus is not God. Well, I feel sorry for you, but that's a legitimate um, uh, conclusion. See, conclusion. And so, the thing that you you really can't hold anymore is that Christians arrived at an irrational conclusion about that data. Okay. That's where it just isn't possible to hold that that as an opinion anymore. But if you decide Jesus isn't God, that's your own kind of problem as far as I can see. Most people are going to say, yeah, Jesus was a good man. And yes, after looking at all that evidence, yeah, he was God. And then, they, then your life is going to change. And once you turn around and say, yeah, Jesus was God, you go, yeah, things are going to change in my life. I'm going to uphold him as God in my life. All right. Cool, you know, uh, come alongside us, I suppose. Uh, but I don't like the fact that the, the uh, authoritarian bullshit churchianity folks are recruiting C cheerleaders. C for cheerleaders. No, you can recruit C for coaches and you can recruit players. And uh, I mean, come on, uh, Paul. <laughs> He was a player. That dude was a murderer. And he was extremely forceful. And once he became a Christian, he didn't lose his forcefulness. I don't think he was much of a cheerleader. He 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 dressed down Peter to his face over a kind of a relatively small um, a doctrinal matter or a religious matter, which is he didn't Peter didn't eat with the Gentiles because a bunch of the of Judaizers is what they called it back then came along and convinced him that that he shouldn't be eating with them that kind of thing it's like small minor shit that doesn't even exist today we don't even care about it today but part of the reason why we don't care about it is because Paul got it right back then okay and Peter got it wrong okay. neither one of them got it wrong about Jesus being God all right they got that part right and they got minor doctrinal differences wrong. And that's just the way things are. Minor doctrinal differences don't mean shit. Okay? The major doctrinal differences mean everything. They mean your whole life. They mean everything. And uh, so just keep your eye on the majors and get rid of the minors in your life.
All right, so we're at 29 minutes. What have I got to do to wrap this up with one minute left? I've been keeping to ABCs. I've been talking about this song, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Trying to implement this or show how this is a kind of an analogy in my life, an allegory, uh, maybe a teaching um, capability. Uh, yeah. So, last 20 seconds, what can I do to move forward on this? Um, frankly, I don't know. And since I can't pause, I can't just pause and think about something and go forward with it. So, that's it. I don't know. And that's, the, that's how I end is, um, I don't know. It's okay to not know things. There are things I do know. And there are always going to be things that we don't know. And uh, things you do know. All right. I was listening to my own little podcast at 128.47 on the final episode of this podcast. Uh, I said, you come to the truth of the matter. Channel your anxiety. And that brought up a song in my heart in my mind and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to just play a little section a short section of that song and it's from michael card and i believe the song is called come to the table so the song come to the truth of the matter come to the table that he has prepared for you and consume the truth consume the table what's at the table for you and let it help you to grow, to become the person that you want to be, that God wants you to be. And let truth infuse your soul.
cool lyrics, beautiful voice, and what I would wish I could do, and you can do it and maybe do it with modern technology now, especially in HTML where you're writing and a person's reading it, and then you put a link to whatever it is you, you, you're referencing. So at that point in time, I used a phrase, come to the table, I think it was the phrase, come to the truth of the matter. And then this came up in my thought, my heart, my mind. So you include that link and then, you, you know, if somebody wants to click through and edify themselves a little further on something or listen to a, a very enjoyable song with beautiful music, then they can. So HTML is, is far superior as a platform of talking about things and spreading the truth of, and than the written word. But the written word survives, right? When you write in the dirt, dirt has a way of surviving and uh, electronic things don't. Especially, I mean, the, the file types and all that stuff, they just keep changing and and morphing so fast that you can't keep up with it. This will never end because I want more. More, give me more, give me more. This will never end because I want more. Missing a dun dun dun. See, it's missing negative music. Dun 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 this will never end, cause I want more, more, give me more, give me more, sounds like war, this will never end, cause I want war, war, give me war, give me war. love you if I had a voice I'd sing after the night if I wake up we'll see what tomorrow brings ah. Sea. <laughs> 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 
With all I found, it was a beast of solid round. Give me more, give me more. Ah. Now they got the ticket. So I gotta mute the commercial. Okay, go ahead and play your commercial. Up. 
We'll see what tomorrow brings. So that's If I Had a Heart uh, from the Vikings intro song. The Vikings is a t- series on, uh, I don't really know what it was, uh, <clears throat> TV series on. It's also been an intro or an episode in Breaking Bad. It's been on various other things in TV. A lot of tension in that song. And I, when I first heard it, I thought it was, uh, I want war. War, give me war, give me war. And it makes sense to, to sing, uh, so if I had a heart, why not if I wake up? After tomorrow, if I wake up. We'll see what tomorrow brings after the night when I wake up. We'll see what tomorrow brings. So, I don't know, some of the lyrics don't quite cut it, but uh, this is such an extraordinary song. So, it's like, well, cool. <laughs> now, where was I? Oh, I was on Spotify. There's other versions of that song. It's not as good as this one. This one has more tension to it. If I had a heart, I would love you. 
If I had a voice, I'd sing. It's got to be obvious to everybody. By now, I can't sing. <laughs> so instead, I cring. <laughs> okay, well, let's see what it sounds like. It sounds like shit, not out, but who cares?